But uh, I want to start this morning. I want to talk about interns. Anybody ever been an intern? Yeah, I got a couple of people been interns. Anybody ever had interns? Had some interns, maybe a couple more. Um, I've, I've had a great opportunity uh, coming through college and out of college, a couple of really solid internships. One of them turned into a full-time job, which is like every intern's dream. Like, yeah, I don't have to go do an interview somewhere. I can just stay here. Um, so that was great. And then I've had some great interns over the years who, uh, when you have a good one, they, uh, they're compliant, which is always great. But the best interns not only do what you ask them to do, but they think for themselves, too. And they provide feedback, and they push back on things, and they bring new ideas, and just a different perspective. And so they're just kind of a good, well-rounded experience. But you get a lot of interns who, in their mind, like, the internship is all about just doing everything correctly. You give them a task, you give them an assignment, they go off and do it. But then they come back every five minutes with a new question, like, how should I do this? Okay, cool. Well, how should I do that? Cool. Well, how should I do this thing? And they're just question after question after question. And they're afraid to do anything wrong. And they just want to accomplish the task that you give them in the way that you want them to do it. And they don't think for themselves. And in a lot of ways, it just kind of wastes your time and you'd rather do it on your own. They need to understand. If you're gonna, uh, a lot of you guys, especially if you're younger, you'll be stepping into an internship or a job placement program. And you got to understand that the heart behind that, the theme is the important thing. It's not about every single task exactly as it's supposed to be. you got to capture more than that. All the details will work themselves out. If you just capture the heart of the request, that's what you're called to do. And, and if all you do is wait for instructions and follow instructions, you're not experiencing the desired depth of the internship. It's not about doing everything right. And so uh, we're continuing this series in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And basically where we've been the last few weeks is laying the foundation of what Jesus is doing. We started with the Beatitudes and how right out of the gate Jesus says to his followers, and he's got this crowd of people kind of listening in, and he says, listen, everything that you've grown up with, everything that you've believed has been true about religion and culture and how you're supposed to uh, live and how you're supposed to succeed in the world, it's all wrong. I came to flip the script. And so I came to bless those in mourning. I came to bless those who are keeping peace, those who are merciful, those who are being persecuted. It's very different than what they experience. And so he starts to lay that foundation of what's expected of us because the kingdom of God is coming. And it's our ultimate destination as God brings that about, but it's also a path for us. It's a life that we're supposed to live in anticipation of how things will be when Jesus comes to reign forever. And so that's where we've been, and Jesus uh, kind of approaches a a bit of a flipping of the script right away, and he starts to get into some practical stuff in in the following weeks. We'll get into that. Um, But he hits a pretty pivotal thing in an area of raising the bar, and and, and what Jesus finds there in the first century is similar to what we find here in the 21st century, that religion always seems to, for whatever reason, it always seems to devolve into wanting to simply do everything right. Follow the right rules in just the right way. And unfortunately, many religious experiences ask that of people. Here's what we want you to do. Here's what we want you to say. Here's how we want you to dress. If you follow these steps and these traditions, you're fine. And the human tendency is to reduce things to just following rules. Am am I doing more good than bad? Am I I balancing the scales? Am Am I doing better than most people? For some reason, that feels easier sometimes. What's the rule? Follow the rule. What's the rule? Follow the rule. What's the rule? Follow the rule. And in our walk with Christ, if all we're doing is following rules, if our mindset is, what can I do or not do? What can I get away with? What kind of things do I need to avoid? If that's all we're experiencing, then we're not experiencing the desired depth of what we're called to. And it's possible that we're missing the point altogether. See, we're called to be more 
than the animals and the trees and the ocean. Because if you think about those things, like a raccoon, just being a raccoon is being obedient to what it was created to be. It's fulfilling its purpose. A tree being a tree is doing what it was created to do. The ocean being the ocean is fulfilling its purpose on this earth. But we are different. We're called to something more. There's more to just simply doing what we're supposed to do. I went on a, a trip to Brazil. I've had uh, opportunities over the years uh, to lead some short-term missions trips. And in 2010, got to lead a group of high schoolers to Brazil and um, the city of Sao Paulo, which is just ginormous and just a beautiful city. Um, and a, a, as a part of this trip, we were doing a lot of work with some of the local churches and youth groups in that area. And our kids had opportunities to share their story their testimony, as we used to say, and basically share what it's been like to grow up in the United States, what their family's like, what kind of stuff they do, but ultimately what role God and Christ have played in their lives. And some of the kids did a great job. They'd get up and share, and kind of interesting to see the contrast between Brazilian life and uh, American life and all that stuff. But then we got a couple kids towards the end where they had kind of been holding back and like, maybe if I wait long enough, they won't ask me to share my story. And it would come their turn. I'd say, listen, it's your turn. You, uh, tonight, I'd love for you to just get up and share your story. I know, I know you're not super excited about that, but it's a great opportunity. And inevitably, the question would be, do I have to? And, it, and looking back, you read into that question, there's more than just that question. That question really means, is it a rule that I have to share my story on this trip? Is sharing my testimony, is that part of the, the requirement for having a successful trip? Is that, is that something that I have to do? And I remember being so frustrated at that because I'm looking around at the situation, the opportunity they have. Like, this is an opportunity for growth and to share yourself with a people from another country. We, we traveled thousands of miles, not so you could just do everything that you were asked to do and follow the rules of the trip and survive. This is a chance to grow. This is a chance to expand yourself and share your heart and share your life and give the people you're sharing with an opportunity to grow and expand themselves and to experience Christ in a new way. And so listen, this, this trip is not about doing just what you're supposed to do. This life, this faith that we have in Christ is more than just doing what you're required to do or not do. And Jesus, as we continue in chapter 5, takes an opportunity to speak into that issue. So, Matthew 5, we'll go to verse 17. Uh, that's where we left off last week. Uh, so Jesus says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now we'll dig that apart in a second, but this is an important part not only in the sermon, but in Jesus' ministry here on earth because he's starting to get questions as he, he's becoming well-known, he's doing more teaching, and, you, and there becomes that obvious question of, so what do you really believe? What do you believe about this and that? Same, you know, we, you, people come to Fieldstone. Most of you had a first week at Fieldstone, and one of your questions, I imagine, is, what do they believe here? And then some of you have even specific items that you're really curious about or really concerned about. Like, okay, so Justin, what, what does Fieldstone stand on this? Okay, what, what's your stance on this particular biblical issue? Where are you on this one? You want to know where we're at and what we believe because that's an integral part to kind of becoming a part of what's happening here. Same thing with Jesus' ministry. And so it's not a bad question for people to want to know where he stands on these things. And particularly important to them were the Old Testament scriptures. That's what they had. That's what they had been raised on. That's what they honored. That's what they valued. And so Jesus was starting to, starting to get questions about where he stood on the Old Testament scriptures, and he'd been accused of not embracing those. 
So they're saying, do we have to obey? Do we have to follow? Do we have to honor those teachings? And as the passage unfolds, Jesus answered in, the, in, in a way that Jesus does both yes and no, which is really frustrating but really awesome at the same time. So we'll continue on. Verse 18, Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Then the big verse. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, unless your faith surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, I certainly don't reject the Old Testament. I don't reject those teachings or the prophets. You're to honor them. You're to follow them. However... This command from Jesus is not a command to follow every Old Testament law in light of Old Testament context. The command is to read and follow and teach the Old Testament in light of a new context, a context that includes Jesus. See, so if you think about the different contexts here, you look at back at the Old Testament, we've talked about this in other talks where you're talking about a new nation here, you're talking about a new people. And they're going through all kinds of stuff. They're on the move. And they've been literally set apart by God to bring his name and his glory to the world. But here's the thing. There's no modern medicine. There's no modern laws. They're surrounded by evil pagan nations. And so God in the Old Testament lays these things out and says, this is how you should live in camps. This is how you should live in cities. This is how you survive in the ancient world with ancient medicines and ancient ways of doing things. This is how you live in order to maintain the best possible culture in an evil, chaotic world. So he says, if you do these things, if you live this way, if you govern this way, if you celebrate this way, if you punish this way, if you worship this way, if you do things my way, it will go well with you as a people and as a nation. And one example, and this is kind of extreme, but there's places in the Old Testament that talks about what to do if someone in your tribe gets a rash or gets sick, or has boils, right? Like we all went through that boil phase. Remember that time when you had boils? It's tough. Well, back then, if you had boils or if you had a rash and you couldn't explain it, you would have to live outside of the camp until you could come back and prove that you were healed or restored or you were rid of that thing. Now, that seems a bit crazy, but when you think about what happened in 14th century Europe, what happened? The plague, black death. And some estimate that 50% of Europe's population died because of the plague. And there's things that they attribute that to. Some of it was rats. Some of it was the fleas on the rats and the dogs. Some of it was sewage in the streets. Some of it was population density and people living too close and too tight of a space. But whatever those reasons, those were things that God was trying to avoid for the people of Israel so that they could be protected from some of those things. So if you're sick and we can't explain it, you got to live over there for a little bit so you don't kill the rest of us. Now you get a rash, you just get some eczema cream and it just clears right up and you're good to go, right? <laughs> but back then, these laws were for their safety, both medically, culturally, militarily, spiritually, all of these things that God laid out so that they, as a new nation, could survive and thrive in the place where he was taking them. And add to that, there was no perfect sacrifice at that time. And so then that's where came in the animal sacrifice and the lambs and the other sacrifices they had to atone for their sins. All of that was happening in the context of the Old Testament. But now there's a new context. 
And in the midst of that context, Jesus has come. The Messiah that the Old Testament talked about has been revealed, and the sin we've been dealing with has been paid for. And so no more sacrifices needed, no more priestly mediators between us and God. The questions have answers, the prophecies have been fulfilled, and yet the Old Testament maintains a lot of weight. Because in that section of Scripture, we get history, we get context, we get a foundation for our faith, and God gives glimpses, He gives definitions of who He is and what He's about, what He values, and why we should fear Him. And so the Old Testament is now read and taught and followed and still honored, but within a new context, the context of Jesus. And that's why later on in Matthew, in chapter 9, Jesus talks about how you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Why? Because you do that, everybody got wineskins at home, right? So you get new wine in the old wineskins, and it ferments, and it expands, and then it rips the old wineskins. So you can't take this new information, this new grace, this new opportunity from Christ, and add it in without looking at it through a new lens. It doesn't work. Things have changed just a little bit since worship services included animal sacrifice, Right? Otherwise, let's bring our goats next week and our sheep and we'll just slaughter them and the streets of Milan will run red with the blood of our sacrifices. <laughs> that would be actually pretty cool. They'd be talking about us around Milan, wouldn't they? What the? What, what the? There's, there's blood in the streets. Not really. That'd be, that'd be bad. All right, let's focus. Everybody bring it back. Everybody bring it back. Nobody freak out. Okay, so... So Jesus goes on in the, in the following sections, and we'll get to this in the coming weeks, and he starts to define how God's law is not in terms of how people behave, but by who they really are on the inside. They're defined by the question of who owns their heart. Always remembering, and we'll remind you of this every single week, that salvation is by faith alone. God looks at the heart. Our words and actions are not the means by which we're saved. They're simply an outpouring expression of what we've already experienced. Our words and actions our representation of our desire to honor him and look like him and represent him. And so the Old Testament a lot helps us do that. It, it's an answer of who is this God that I love? Who is this God? He's holy. He's merciful and he's just. He's powerful yet personal. He's trustworthy. And so whether it's the Old Testament or the Sermon on the Mount, these are things that become symptoms of the change that's happening in our hearts. And then we get to the fun part in verse 20 there. And I love this because he's talking about the Pharisees. Your righteousness has to be great. And he's, he's always digging on these guys because you know some of them were there, right? Like they're standing off to the side and he's like, you got to be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And he kind of look over like, <laughs> gets them. And part of it is to put them in their place because they need it. But part of it is to encourage the people and say, listen, these people have been raised up as your standard, but they are not it. And I have to believe that would come as a relief to the people Jesus was teaching because these guys set themselves up as perfect, as righteous, as great followers of the law. And they did good stuff because they were experts on the law. They would teach and interpret the law. They would make sure that people had respect for the law. They would go out of their way to memorize everything that was in the Old Testament. And so that's good stuff. But what Jesus is saying is all of that's fine, but that doesn't make you worthy in his eyes. Why? Because it's not about obeying the rules. It's about the heart. And like every other standard, you can take the Old Testament standard, you can take the New Testament, every other standard, this standard is out of reach and simply proves that we need Jesus. 
The Old Testament, it pointed to Jesus. The law and all the prophets, they pointed to Jesus. The rules and the traditions of the Pharisees, those pointed to Jesus. And any commands that we can pull out of the New Testament, important things to follow, but those things point to Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is a great example and a great standard to attain to as we live out the kingdom. It raises the bar, but it also is a signal of how woefully inadequate we are to achieve that standard. That's not meant to be discouraging, but maybe challenging and encouraging because in the midst of all this and in the midst of our inability to achieve that standard and live up to what God has called us to, in the midst of all that, there's still a promise that we can be welcomed in the kingdom of God in spite of ourselves, in spite of our past, in spite of our present, in spite of our pain, and especially in spite of our sin. We are not okay, but that's okay when Jesus stands in the gap for us. And it's always been that way. Right? And you can say, Justin, man, there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament. They were supposed to follow those. Absolutely they were. But look at some Old Testament scriptures. And right in the midst of these, these laws, go to Psalm 51, verse 16. This is David writing after his biggest mistake with Bathsheba. And David writes, You, God, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, but my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. And then later on in Ezekiel, as the Israelites, God's talking about how he's going to bring them back from some pain and bring them back from some suffering they're experiencing as a, as a result of their disobedience. God says to his people in Ezekiel thirty six twenty five, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, your, put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The important thing to keep in mind there is he gets through all the heart stuff and he gets through all the spirit stuff and all the, life, all the interchange stuff and then he gets to the last part of after I've changed your heart, after I've put my spirit in you, after I've changed you on the inside, then I will give you a desire to follow what I've asked you to follow. Then I will ask you to live the way I want you to live. Not before, but after. And so, of course, Jesus addresses lots of practical issues all through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the the apostles and the writers of the New Testament scriptures address a lot of practical things that God wants us to live out. But it's the heart that matters. Jesus sets that straight before he jumps into any of the practical things. It's his Holy Spirit coming into our lives changing us from the inside out, and then giving us a desire to reach for God's standard. And so Jesus says, I'm here to fulfill everything that God has been saying. I'm here to bring true change. And the way I want you to picture it is the difference between, and this will be a good one for this week, the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. See, a thermometer can read the temperature, right? A thermometer can evaluate the temperature and tell us where it's at. But a thermometer can't change anything. Only a thermostat can change the temperature. Imagine somebody being cold this week. Polar vortex, they're outside, no coat, no gloves, no shoes, no hat, and they're freezing. But they're holding a thermometer in their hand. I say, guys, it's okay. It's warming up already. It's okay, we're going to be okay. It's 98 degrees out here, it's fine totally ridiculous, right? That thermometer can't change anything. 
And yet I think sometimes that's how so many of us, so many of us approach our faith. See, I'm doing this better. I'm, I'm doing this so much better. And I've been reading this and I've been diving into that. And I'm doing so good. And I'm obeying this and that rule now. So it's all better now, right? No. That's surface stuff. That's practical stuff. That's good stuff. It's things that we should be doing and we should be reading and we should be living out. But that's surface stuff. And Jesus says, in the midst of of the Old Testament standard, in the midst of the New Testament, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, in the midst of everything I desire for your life, it is and it was and it always will be all about him. And I think we prove that on a daily basis. Think about how low of a standard he's called us to. Look at the Ten Commandments. Don't kill anybody. Be satisfied with your own wife. Don't steal stuff. Take one day a week and chill and rest. And yet every single day we fail to live up to these basic things. And it proves that there's a problem. Jesus says, I'm the only solution to that. And so that question becomes this morning, if Jesus is the only solution, what have you done with Jesus? Because if you read through the, the Gospels, he leaves no middle ground. He makes some pretty outrageous claims about himself. He, he presents some pretty difficult teaching to say you're either in or you're out. And if your trust is not in him, if your faith rests in anything else, you're not okay. And so that's where it has to start. And we're going to preach plenty of sermons around here talking about things you need to do, things you need to change, things you need to try, adjustments you need to make in your everyday life, in your spiritual life, in your family life, in your work life. But all of that stuff comes after choosing to believe, choosing to give your heart and life to Jesus because he is the only solution to the problem that we create for ourselves every single day. What have you done with him? I know many of you would, would say that you've placed your faith in Jesus, and so the encouragement I would give to you this morning is pursue your life, pursue faith, pursue reading of Scripture and your choices and all of the things that you do. Do those things within the context of Jesus. And the team is going to come and, and close us in a song, but we've been called to a higher standard. We've been called to a different kind of life. We've been called to kingdom impact. And yeah, we're supposed to evaluate and we're supposed to challenge ourselves and, and challenge each other and grow and live his way. But in the midst of trying to live his way, don't forget about Romans 8.1. Okay? It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because coming off the first part of Romans, if you've never read it, dive in. It is intense but so good. And the first part of Romans and even into chapter 7 basically says, hey, we as a human race, we're lost, we're broken, there's no hope in ourselves, we are screwed up. And then you turn the page to Romans 8.1. It says, therefore, in the midst of that mess, in the midst of our lack of worthiness, in the midst of that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so whatever you walk in here with, whatever you are, whatever you have that's weighing you down, whatever mess is in your life, whatever choices you're regretting, whatever you're living in right now, as a follower of Christ, you walk out of these doors with zero guilt in the eyes of Christ. There is no condemnation. You are free. The stuff in your past, the stuff in your present, the stuff in your future, it's all paid for. It's a new context with which to approach life and scripture and doing things Christ's way because our pursuit of his standard 
time and time again shows us how lost we are. But Jesus shows us how saved we are. He can change you. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and um, just the simple reminder of, of what you're about. God, you're about souls. You're about changing people's hearts and then changing lives and then changing the practical things. And so, Father, as we walk out of here, help us to remember that it's all about you. It's all about Christ. And God, only then, only once we've given our hearts to you, only then challenge us to change the things on the outside. And as you do that, Father, may we celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.